Today on Training Group Live, Matt Pranka, Juanchik Kim, and I discuss how Instagram has ruined shooting and introduce our first drill of the month for the podcast. After the paywall, Matt, Juanchik, and I discuss the techniques we use for fast gun handling and explain the issues we see students battle with in classes. Welcome to Training Group Live, your home for all things practical shooting. So make ready, it's time to train. Welcome to Training Group Live. Today, special guests, Wanchit Kim. Hello. And we have Matt Pranka joining us again. Hello. All right, guys, I brought you a little bit of a spicy topic. Yes. I want to talk about, well, Matt, you and I have talked about this in the past. Instagram has ruined shooting mm -hmm. in some ways. And I think it makes for good conversation and maybe give people a little bit of a reality check because... I mean, guys, let's be real. Sometimes what people see on Instagram is not actually real life. You know? Are you serious? Yeah. I'm serious. <laughs> Somebody's doing like a one five uh, four aces. And, you know, he barely gets to get up to the eye line. He's not really even like close to part timer. He's like, yeah, man, I made it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And then I think, you know, what you see a lot of is you see these performances that that becomes like, and it, it kind of warps how people perceive their own training or what they think is they should be doing. And then they're cutting corners. Like you said, you know, four aces is, is the best one. Cause you see these guys that like, you're not even looking at the sights. The gun never even came up to your eye to target line, you know? Um, and then also it makes it even worse. You don't see the hits or they don't have four alphas in there at the, right. the end of it and and you start to see that and then i i think people see that level of performance and that becomes like oh man i can i can shoot a you know 190 184 aces and um and then they dry fire that or they set these arbitrary part times when they're dry firing and then they're not building any type of consistent fundamentals they're just racing times and not even seeing what they are supposed to see you know with the site Kim, what's your reaction on all this? Does it seem yes. like we're talking crazy, or does it seem logical? I definitely agree with it. Uh, it's kind of like people are focused on going through the motion rather than actually trying to shoot. Uh, I mean, personally, four aces, I've shot a lot in the beginning of a uh, shooting career, and I think it's really a good drill. Uh, it can teach you many, many things. Like, the one of the biggest things we need to master, which is relaxation kind of thing. But a lot of people look at the drill... Uh, of course, uh, there was part-time all that stuff too, right? So there is result uh, people want to get through the uh, drill. But people are oftentimes just result-focused and result-oriented. They often really don't develop the process to make it happen at a consistent level and at a actual like shooting scenario level, if that makes sense. A lot of people are trying to basically complete complete like a magic hey i did it once so this is how i am good uh, that's another fault of uh people going through the motion with four aces drill giving them a faulty self-image of their own shooting ability uh, but when four aces with process oriented mindset and also they know exactly what they want to work on through the drill it's actually a very good drill to teach a lot of the aspects that we need to master in order to be a high-level shooter. 
Yeah. Oh, the drill's fantastic. Uh, and I guess I should have explained. So for people unfamiliar, four aces is normally a, a five or a seven yard target. Uh, I normally do it around seven. Uh, basically, hands relax at sides, draw, shoot two alpha, reload, and shoot two more alpha. So that's that's the drill. And then obviously you want to push down the time with live ammo. There's no doubt about where the bullets went. And in dry fire, uh, it looks good on Instagram, but <laughs> who knows where the bullets went, I think is sometimes the case. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with that, you know, with it being kind of shot at like standard exercise distance, um, you get away with a lot more, right? Uh -huh. So even if you're consistently doing it well and I, say you're running at low low twos, which I think is really respectable, and uh -huh. uh, and then you're getting all your hits. But if you're not paying attention to what you're seeing, and like Fonzie well, just said, like process oriented training, you're not focused on the sights, right? You're not just shooting to an index. Then when you take all of those skills that you should be learning from that drill, you know, relaxation, the gun handling, um, and then kind of really good marksmanship at speed and you start to put that towards classifiers or match conditions, then the drill didn't do what it was supposed to do. Oh, I totally you know, agree. No, nobody's going to shoot four aces. Um, how they, how you see it on Instagram. If you were to have, you know, kind of a stand and shoot with a real fast reload classifier, you know, nobody's going to shoot it that way. Nobody with a good score anyway. <laughs> yeah yeah true <laughs> um yeah and like like a little bit of what matt you guys were talking about uh kind of to pick on the specific things that i think people lose touch of reality that's not real life is specifically looking at four aces they snatch the gun out of the holster which maybe they have an okay grip maybe they don't wherever they grab the gun just enough to hang on to it uh kind of throwing the gun out towards the target when it looks roughly out there maybe it's not even quite up to eye line smash the trigger, maybe you never even get to full extension on the gun, bring the gun down low, smash a reload, hopefully get your support hand back somewhere on the gun, throw the gun back out the target and smash the trigger again. You know, maybe it gets up to eye level, maybe it's not. Who knows where the gun's really pointed, but it looks really sporty on Instagram. And that was kind of, yeah. uh, like I said, well, like we've been saying, I think that just ruins, that ruins shooting in some ways because uh, I think it's really, really good so if I see somebody like Kim or Ben or Matt and these guys like and they go they're doing this drill and they're doing it very, very solid, good technique and really fast, that kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. If I can't keep up with that part time, well, if Kim's doing it in two seconds, I should be able to do it in two seconds. And so that's really good at pushing. Um, so I hate just saying, hey, you shouldn't go fast and figure it out. Um, but like what you guys are saying, I think sometimes people lie to themselves about what's actually happening for the sake of looking good on video. Right. And I think the the line to it is that people don't understand, you know, what actual like a good performance is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the one thing I, I can't stand to see is, you know, people running exercises like that. And, you know, you can kind of watch somebody and tell if the consistency is there. You know, if you shoot enough, you know, you've seen enough high level guys shoot that, that you can know, like, OK, that he's not going to repeat that over and over and over. But also when you start to measure it, like. Like, I don't care if you have a 0.7 draw, but it takes you 1.4 seconds to reload the gun, mm -hmm. you know? And when you start to look at, like, you know, demonstrable performance and, like, real consistency and that precision, you know, 
and from the time, if you draw the gun in one second, and for guys that, you know, I would think at that GM level, that's a very, very repeatable skill for everybody. And then if you can reload that gun, though, in under a second, you know, from shot from second shot to third shot on that drill, you know, that to me looks like better training that you're training correctly rather than a 0.8 draw and a 1.4 load, even if the time measures better. Oh, totally. Kim, look, you're going to say something before I cut you off. Yes, I really like that example. Uh, like, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody having that issue uh, who has crazy nice draw, but uh, pretty slow reload. In that kind of case, uh, in our sport, it's not really about getting the best at one skill. It's about having really uh, overall skill uh, pretty at a consistent level. So like, like Matt's example, uh, most of the time, to the point, uh, let's say your draw is one second, and to the point, one second, to bring it down to 0.7 seconds, it takes a lot of effort, uh, probably exponential effort from like 0.9 to 0.8 and 0.8 to 0.7. So in this kind of case, if you are spending just entire uh, practice, most of your life practicing on draw only and neglecting other areas, then you're going to overall, the most reward is not that way. The most reward in our sport, or I think practical shooting too, is to actually uh, your capability overall skills have higher level than one skill have the highest level and everything else neglected. Uh, like four, four aces have many components. So there is like a draw component, recoil management component, index component, blah, 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 so on. So if you're only good at one thing, of course, uh, first, you're not going to be uh, having a good result in terms of time. So this distribution of your training has to be more equalized to many aspects than just one aspect. I agree completely. Um, yeah. It, yeah, like what you guys said, being relaxed is super important too. Because somebody that's really tensed up and they hit the buzzer and they really think, man, I'm going to really go fast on this one. Um, normally, that just all that tension normally uh, slows you down a lot more and I think induces a lot of errors as well. It's what I've seen. So, yeah, I mean, I, I see it with, you know, most of the like quote unquote, like tactical guys that I end up training um, and training with that you could spend, I could spend an entire class just shooting exercises to get them to relax mm -hmm. because it's so once, once that, that level of tension or you equate, that tension and that rigidity with some level of control. And, and for me, I kind of find it's usually people, people think that rigidity and tension like that equates to some sort of recoil control. And, and then like, they don't understand on the practical side where you're really going to become what I would call a fast shooter. It's everything that you're doing while you're not shooting that, that skill. And that's where you got to get that tension, you know, for the gun handling part, transition part, movement part, the tension's got to go away. And it just, it kills people. And you watch them for years, you know, guys I know that I've seen shooting for 10 years and it, it's still that same way. And they're kind of stuck at one level and they can't either class up or get any type of real performance bump because they don't, they can't conceptualize like how tense and what that's, how tense they are and what that's doing to their shooting.
Yeah, totally. And I think sometimes that tension creeps up. Once somebody turns on their phone or something, they start recording, like, okay, I'm going to do this one for the gram. That's normally where you see, like, the kiss of death, so to speak, where, yeah. you know, things just seem to fall apart because there's more pressure. You're, you're videoing it, and even though maybe you're in your basement or at the range, you have unlimited tries, you still try to go extra hard, try to go extra fast. Um, and that's a good thing to train under those conditions where – you know, imagine somebody's watching you or you're in a match setting and I really, really want to go well. So inducing that level of stress is good. Um, but, you know, I cheating corners, when you cheat corners on a drill just to look good or make a part-time, in reality, it really only hurts. You're the only person you're hurting when you do that. Well, maybe yeah. besides ruining the internet also, I suppose. But Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's, just, it's a myth. The, the whole Instagram thing, man, it just, huge misrepresentation of how a lot of guys actually shoot in real life. Yeah. And there, I mean, like the flip side of that, there have been times where I'm in training and I mean, if you're picking a four aces or picking accelerator, well, even uh, Ben was staying with me this summer, we were training and we've been shooting accelerator for a bit. We got warmed up. It's like, Hey, let's just see how fast we can go on this drill. And, you know, Ben started going crazy and he was in the fours and I was uh, low fives, high fours really getting after it. And that was really good. You know, and of course, like I'll video the fastest one and post on Instagram, but for the most part, you know, all of them, unless something really crazy went wrong are all reasonably within the same range. And that wasn't really a speed that I would personally be doing at a match, but it was really good to have somebody, a really strong shooter next to me and trying to chase them and pushing myself to go better. Those things were really good, but I didn't have any illusions that that was the way I'd behave in a match or that Ben shooting accelerator in the fours is, you know, just like that's normal for him where Ben's very good, but that was also him pushing. So we were, you know, trying to push each other to go yeah. faster. I think too, like pushing, you know, pushing yourself like that right up to the point where you're, you're out of control. Like a lot of people would be surprised at how you can start to really get control back at those speeds. And then, what that does to your match pace or kind of your on-demand, you know, kind of pulls that along. But, you know, you see if you're really pushing it hard like that, when you have someone there like Ben or somebody that it can outdo you over and over and over and drive you. But the times I've done that, you know, with him especially, you see like how much you can start to get accuracy and start to see like, okay, I can push a little harder than maybe I am at my match speed. Yeah, um, or on accelerator specifically, normally for most people, uh, the advice I would give is a predictive pair on the 7 and the 15-yard target. So for people not familiar, accelerators, three targets, 7, 15, and 25 yards, draw, shoot each target twice, load and shoot each target twice. And normally for the, the closer two targets, I would say shoot a predictive pair, uh, or especially on the middle target if they're comfortable, where uh, predictive shooting is if I grip the pistol properly, I can pretty much predict by just pressing the trigger twice and not seeing necessarily like the sights uh, perfectly for each shot for the second shot. Rather, um, I can predict where the shots are going to go. And on the far target, it would be reactive shooting. So I see the sight picture I like. I press the trigger. The sights lift. It settles back down the notch. I see what I like, and then I react to the second shot. Well, training hard on that drill, I started shooting a predictive pair on the 25-yard target just to see what would happen. And I was surprised with the results I got. Would I do that in a match all the time? Uh, maybe not. But it was still a lot of two alphas, a lot of alphas and close Charlies. So that was also a really good learning point that I wouldn't have got 
if I wouldn't have tried really pushing to see what would happen. Yeah. Yes. I think that holds true too for like doubles. Yeah, I had a similar experience with training out with Ben in Wisconsin and he shot doubles and I would go off of, you know, what was what he wrote before on the the, the split times. He's like, mm-hmm. nope, he's like, I'm pretty dead. Like it's you can start pushing it back and we were getting, you know, the same acceptable, you know, 70, 80% alphas, you know, no deltas back at 25. I think we probably shot 400 rounds of doubles at 25 in that like low two splits. And it helped me too, one from a visual standpoint, but also really makes that grip locking it in a lot, lot harder. I'm really glad to hear uh, two of you guys really like, what you guys did to improve your four aces basically so when i look at like instagram posts and i know like there's no way this guy's consistent and he was just trying to complete the magic and did Mm -hmm. reps and reps and just picked the nicest one so when i when i watch those kind of videos the uh, as a you know i'm a i feel like i'm a student all the time and also i teach people to shoot better too so in that mindset when i see those posts I feel pretty sad because I know their training is the fundamentally wrong. So a lot yeah. of people are, like I said, trying to go reps and reps until, you know, it looks like Ben or it looks like how Joel should four aces, for example. I mean, they're missing a lot of things and not actually going through the process. It's like a fast food mindset. So like when, for example, when you do four aces, if you're going through reps and reps and reps, and there's like a book called 10,000 hours or something like that, right? So if you see like rate of success, for example, if you are going through reps and reps and 10 runs, if you get two magical runs and maybe five okay runs and maybe three bad runs. In this kind of case, you're feeding yourself with the bad runs not actually developing the right process to be consistent. And also in practical competition shooters, you have to develop the process preparation part, which we call it visualization or walkthrough. That's one way. Of course, we always have one, uh, at least one walkthrough before you shoot the stage. So as people are going through this four aces uh, mastery, like training, people are not properly training in a way that can give you faster growth and better consistency. So like uh, in in our training group, uh, the study session series just started and study session number two dropped. In number three, uh, it's, it's about how to practice. And one of them is deductive method. What it is, is example, for example, four aces. Four aces have actually multiple components as we talked about earlier. There's like draw, grip, recoil, management, confirmation, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So as you start four aces, drill which has multiple components. Once you start training that, you're going to find one issue here, one issue there. For example, let's say uh, your grip is slipping around uh, for for the second shot. Let's say you have grip issue. Then you got to break it down to develop like Matt worked on doubles drill. That's a good way to isolate the recoil management part of four aces drill. And like preactive shooting, reactive shooting, what kind of confirmation you need to have on the site? Do you need to see perfect alignment or do you need to see just blur, color, fiber kind of thing? Separating those things is basically deductive method. Start component, multiple component, and you narrow it down to the one that you you will have most issue or will give you most reward. You can think of it that way. 
So people need to develop those kind of training method is one thing. And a lot of people are, like I said, neglecting the preparation part. So in a way, if you actually go through like the visualization process, meaning uh, I touch my beaver tail before I actually you know, hit the buzzer, or maybe I go through the motion index points. Okay, my index finger has to hit there. And then for the mech change, my index finger has to place onto the bullet tip or how I need to grip my palm positioning, those kind of index cues. Uh, you go through those, actually develop your visualization routine or walkthrough routine, you're going to be having a higher possibility of successful run because you're just simply programming those cues and you all you do is just play that cue. So you're not on the fly, if that makes sense. You're not mm -hmm. just going through by a subconscious level, uh, which is definitely not a good idea in USPSA shooting because you don't shoot the same same stage over and over, never. You should you get one chance, but the key is to develop the preparation part and actually through the preparation part, you can experiment the cues. Hey, when I try to think, I, my index finger has to be this spot, that spot, it didn't work. Then try different angles, different positioning, different index spots, and you finally find out your index points. That's one big cue for successful, like consistent run. So as you develop, as you do visualization process in the training, you develop those cues which will give you higher consistency, higher possibility of successful run. And a lot of people don't go through that. People just go reps and reps and reps, and they think, okay, I need the three times out of 10. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah, I can do this. They remember the yeah. good things in life, selective memory. Exactly, yes. Um, Kim, I like what you're saying a lot about cues. I do that also. Um, so like cues, like my for me personally, um, if I know, if I were to know that I'm gripping the gun properly, I'll feel the fingertips, my middle two fingers, I guess, or my middle finger and my ring finger of my firing hand. I can feel those being smashed really hard into the grip panels by my support hand gripping so hard. And if I have that feeling, I feel those fingertips almost where it's painful. I really feel those getting smashed into the gun by gripping so hard with my support hand. I know instantly I've got a good grip. Like yeah. that cue, that that feeling, that's what you're talking about, Kim, correct? Exactly. Exactly. So if and I have that, yeah, go ahead, sorry. eventually those become your new, you know, subconscious kind of thing. But sure. Yeah. But yes, if if I have that feeling, I feel yes. those fingers being smashed in, I automatically know, no question about it. That is the feeling I need, and that gives me the proper grip I want. Yes. You really have to be in control of developing your habit. You cannot just do, go reps and reps and let bad habits develop but if you go through a preparation phase or developing proper cues then you are in control of developing those subconscious uh, skills so to say and what i truly believe is like the ten thousand hour i don't particularly like believe in those numbers or anything like that but let's just say within that ten thousand hours uh, people who went through million reps versus 10,000 reps, of course, uh, one is way less reps and the other one is way more reps. But given that more reps, if you go through bad reps, unsuccessful <clears throat> runs, it's just feeding yourself a bad thing. So basically, I mean, I studied engineering. If you do a million math problems and get like 50% wrong versus you did 10,000 times, 
and you get 90% right, 99% right, then you develop a better process to get the problem right. You're going through the right processes. I think that's, I like that. That's good. It, you know, and I think it's a much more, you know, eloquent way to say it, you just have to be consistent in your performance, but you have to be more consistent in your practice. Mm -hmm. Um, I stayed with, uh, it was like uh, what last summer I stayed with Ben for a week and Gaston, uh, came to visit and he was training with us, which was really good. Uh, so I'm throwing things off Gaston. What do you think about this? Whatever. And there was uh, one stage specifically, we set up kind of, we had a drill on one bay and the other bay would be a stage that just kind of varied a couple of times, every couple hours, something would change. And there was a time where I smashed the stage hard, knocked out of the park, very in control. I wasn't swinging for the bleachers, but everything in it was it was quite fantastic for, for my skill level. And uh, Gaston said, you have, I don't remember if it was three or four, but he said, basically, you have to do it. He was either three or four times to make it true. And we, we talked about that a lot, but it made a lot of sense. What he was saying was basically anyone can tee off one run and have a good run. But could I load back up again and do that, you know, scoring an aggregate, so to speak? Could I do that drill three times or four times back to back? without having a train wreck or forgetting a target or missing a target or dropping my magazine or something dumb. Um, and I thought, I thought about that. It was really, really smart. And I've used that, applied that to other drills also. So for instance, even in my personal, if I was doing four aces live or dry, if I just have one, it's like, oh, okay, that was pretty cool. But in my mind, I have like a counter where I want to have three or five. I, I need to do three or five back to back without dropping a magazine or without anything major going wrong. And if I can't do that, something's going on. Because doing it once, like what you guys are saying, is like, well, that was okay. But I have to be able to do it over and over again. Otherwise, it really doesn't matter. Yes. One of the yeah, famous I... quotes from Ben, sorry. Uh, I, I listened to the podcast for a long time now. Uh, mm -hmm. The Yeah, practical. One of the uh, fine uh, quote Ben uh, said was, I be Ben in one stage. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, because I mean, if you go through reps and reps, you will you will hook up at least one out of what, twelve stages, sixteen stages. So this is why one of the reasons why even the best shooters don't get every single stage stage win. Mm -hmm. Yes, because somebody's gonna hook up unrealistic runs. I totally agree. So yes, like what you're saying in a match, the goal is have a bunch of good stages, not one that's super amazing, but you really can't can't duplicate those results. But I don't think that's necessarily bad if that really motivates people to train. So it's kind of like, uh, because, I mean, let's say I ran against this marathon runner, a uh, hundred yard dash. And let's say I, I had a similar time to that marathon runner for the hundred yard dash. That doesn't mean I can run a marathon with him. It's a totally different situation, but it can actually motivate people to, oh, yay. Maybe I can, you know, work on, you know, cardio more and then maybe eventually I can get there. So I think in a way it's a good starting point, but I really recommend people to not just stay in one, you know, one spot. Just keep progressing. Kim, you're so smart. That was the last place I actually, actually <laughs> wanted to take it. That was exactly what I was gonna where I was gonna take it next was yes, doing it once. So if I'm chasing four aces really hard. And in dry, I really want to hit that two-second mark. And I'm going and going, and I just, I, I don't even know. And then finally I hit it once, one time even. That would be really exciting because I finally mm -hmm. did it, something I wanted to do. 
maybe I can't do it again for another day or an hour or a couple of dry fire sessions, but at least then in your mind, it does make it real. This is something obtainable. This is something I could do. And then that motivates me to, well, what did I do right? Or, you know, what do I need to look at? But yes, totally doing it, going crazy is not necessarily a bad thing um, because it's a way to break a plateau that you're on or set a new normal, I suppose, is a different way of saying it. Um, yeah. So I really, I think my my hate on, like what I was talking about Instagram, ruining, ruining shooting, I think the problem is people don't have the perspective to know what's really repeatable and what's not. And sometimes seeing that, somebody hitting that out of the park, they perceive that as being normal and they think their shooting should be at that. And if it's not, I'm disappointed or they, you know, kind of like, like what you're saying, training wrong, which I, you know, is a sad thing when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, a little bit of an announcement for, uh, which will be coming in the second half. We are introducing a drill of the month on training group, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, so there'll be a drill of the month area, uh, more details in the forum, but basically we want people to try this drill at home and uh, post your videos and have a group discussion of what people are learning, struggling with, getting better on, and uh, group learning, and, uh, you know, all that kind of garbage. But I think it'll be quite good. So, uh, since we've hated on stuff enough, after the paywall, we are going to discuss uh, a video I posted on Training Group that has had a lot of discussion in the thread, uh, which explains the angle of the reload and the method I use for getting consistent mag changes, which I... I think it was quite helpful. Welcome back to Training Group Live. I'm sitting down with Juanchik and Matt, and we are going to talk in detail again about four aces, but maybe more than that, gun handling. Draws, reloads, what people do wrong, and how to excel at gun handling. Because honestly, I don't think that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with that, truthfully, uh, especially reloads. You see a lot of people drop magazines or fumble or that they're not um, not able to re repeat their performance. So uh, I posted a video on Training Group that got a lot of uh, engagement, a lot of feedback, and uh, we'll get to that video. But I think the first part to start out with is just start with the draw. What do you guys think? What do you see go wrong with the draw? I mean, we kind of use it in the in the picture of four aces but you know it kind of relates to every drill you shoot like so i think the biggest thing that i see with um with draw is is kind of efficiency and consistency become a become a big big problem or you you know newer shooters you can see them like you watch them you know do kind of draw and shoot two in a target you watch them do it 10 times and you're, you're going to see between four and six different types of draw right like they're that's a good point. index you know indexing points aren't aren't the same like for me personally from a practical shooting side like i have certain like cues and indexing points that i'd use you know if i'm hands relaxed at the side it's gonna the start point is gonna be the same every time would you right? mind sharing um, i mean anything you want to share what those would be or people might want to try so for me, the way that I that that my gear is set up, you know, and I shoot a, a Glock 17 and in, um, in competition and carry and everything duty. Um, and before I was shooting a Glock 34, but same same grip. 
So the way that my gear is set up, shooting production division, that my I index the gun where the um, the butt, you know, the base of the grip, kind of the back of the gun where that that open channel is, hits me right in the middle of the forearm, and that mm-hmm. puts my hands below my waist, and so that way my initial movement to the gun can be really aggressive because the start point is the exact same. If I'm given the opportunity, hands below, you know, hands below, uh, relax at your side, I relax them that way. Um, And that's kind of the visual cue. So as I was figuring that out, you know, with dry fire initially, it, I had, I could really quickly get to a very repeatable draw or a very repeatable aggressive movement to the gun because I was just ingraining that same start point, you know, and I think from the most basic side, that's important. And obviously you're going to have to, you know, build that consistently from a whole bunch of different starting positions, you know, Um, but for that uh, hands below the waist, I index that way for if it's um, hands above the shoulders, you know, I personally, I index my temples with my fingertips. So that way, if I'm wearing a hat or not a hat, regardless of what I have on, that start point looks exactly the same. You know, my hands are relaxed, but my two tips of my fingers are right on my temples at the exact same uh, point, like right where my hair starts. And for me, that was huge just to have to start to build, you know, because I wanted to be really fast and really aggressive in my shooting, but I probably wasn't as consistent um, initially. And then learning how to build that consistency through training, through training correctly was huge especially when you start talking about, you know, I made GM from classifiers, you know, being able to stand and shoot really fast and reload really fast. So um, that's, you know, that worked for me in my training. Oh, I like that so much. I do the same thing. Uh, my forearm on my, I shoot, uh, normally a stock too, but if I'm shooting my Glock, whatever, my forearm sits kind of between the beaver tail and the grip. And just, I mean, everybody's arms are a little bit different, you know, build whatever. But when I hang my hands at my side, that's just kind of where it hits. And exactly like what Matt's saying, if my, if that, that kind of like that part of the gun is what's resting on my forearm, it's so much easier for me to know from prior training experience, um, you know, muscle memory, whatever term you want to call it, even though your muscles really don't have conscious thought to have memory, but whatever. <laughs> um, I know if my hands reach right there, I kind of know subconsciously how much up, how much back. I know that that amount that I have to move my hands to get to the grip. And that makes it so much easier because... You know, if I had my hands straight out to my side, to like make an example, so if my hands are straight out uh, and then I have to go to my gun, well, my hands aren't going to be the exact same position every time. So that makes it really tough because maybe they were a little bit higher that time. Maybe they were a little bit lower. Maybe a little bit farther forward or backwards. And then you end up fishing around for your gun. Whereas if, like what Matt's saying, I have a repeatable spot um, and then my support hand is kind of hitting where my there's a base uh, base pad on my belt for my magazines that hits my uh, forearm of my support hand at a specific spot. And if my hands are there, I just kind of know that's the starting point. So I like that a lot. Kim, I'm assuming you do a similar thing? Yes, definitely. Good. Uh, okay. Index points. Yes, index points. So you've got your hands on the gun. Uh, well, I guess the thing to point out that I see go wrong a lot in classes is where somebody really focuses hard on getting their primary hand they're firing hand to the gun, but they kind of forget about their support hand supposed to be doing stuff. And so you'll see one hand move, but you see their, their firing hand, I'm sorry, move, but their support hand kind of hangs out at their side. And then once they get the gun out of the holster and they start going towards the target, 
then you see the support hand trying to catch up. And normally that'll, uh, they build their grip really late or an inconsistent grip uh, because if the gun's already moving towards the target and their support hand's trying to catch up, who knows where they're going to catch up to the gun. And then wherever they end up catching up, normally they just clamp down. And so that creates uh, inconsistent hand placement. Yes. So about that, uh, I recently posted maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month. Uh, the title of it is Muzzle Direction and Path of the Draw. Mm -hmm. So basically, in the video, uh, one thing that's really neglected is uh, how the gun is presenting, uh, what kind of path is taking to your eye level. So there's two main things I explain. One thing is uh, how the gun itself is traveling up to your eye level. So if you are dominant eye, let's say you just draw a straight line of your dominant eye, the gun should be coming into that line as quick as possible so that your gun is presenting straight up to the target rather than going around. So this is something, uh, and muzzle direction also affects. So one thing I did a couple of years back when I was draw, uh, developing my draw to have a better accuracy is actually, I did like a laser zero device in my chamber and then it shoots out laser through my board. So I mm -hmm. was drawing with it and then I was videoing that path of the laser and then I was analyzing where the laser is going while I was drawing. So what what I saw when I did that was if there's an A zone, it was going to the right and go all the way up and then it would bounce back down to the center of the A zone in a diagonal direction. So first, horizontal plank, I was on the right side of the A zone when it was drawing and then it passes the center of the A zone so it went up high. So so-called fishing in a way. So my muzzle direction in the draw process was actually pointed high and then it whipped back down to the target. And then I developed it so that the laser would now go straight bottom of the A zone and stop in the exactly center without any uh, deviation. So when I did that, and also when the dot was stopping in the center, the dot was shaking left to right as well. So I was going through video, video uh, analysis. So a couple things I did wrong was my gun wasn't into that dominant eye line soon enough. It was on the right side. Of course, the holster is on the right side. So I was lazy on bringing the gun into my eye line level. That was one thing. That was reason why the laser was on the right side. And then the muzzle direction itself, I wasn't keeping the muzzle parallel to the target. And actually the muzzle was high because I was, uh, my elbow, mainly my elbow angle was pointing the gun kind of high, you know, like FBI shooters like this. <laughs> Over yeah, you got to keep your gun up by your face, right? Yes. So I was taking care of that. So I was bringing my gun in. So as soon as it comes out of the holster, I will bring it towards the eye line level. And also I would uh, rotate my elbow correctly so that it's parallel as soon as possible towards the target. And then now it's just coming straight up. And then the little bit of shake left to right when the gun actually stopped in the center of the A zone, that was happening because the grip was happening uh, late. I was applying my grip pressure near the eye line. So that applying grip pressure was actually keeping the muzzle, you know, shake a little bit left to right. At the time I was gripping all directionally, especially hard uh, side to side pressure. So I was clamping with the palm, pushing into the side to side with the fingertips. So that was creating some shake as well. So I fixed it by having the left hand closer to the holster and meet as soon as possible and finish the grip pressure immediately rather than I'm going to position here, here, here. So I had to reduce a little bit process of the gripping process too. 
At the time, I had like multiple processes. Okay, index finger tip there, uh, underneath the trigger guard, middle guard, and then I'm going to position palm there, and I'm going to roll my thumb forward, all kind of processes. So I eliminated a lot. So I only have like underneath the trigger guard contact point, and then I just close it immediately without thinking about position here and there. So it's simplified. So my grip was completely finished even before it was near the eye line. So I explain in more detail in the video I was talking about. So that really affects the first shot accuracy and also the ability to actually hit the target even if the gun wasn't quite on the eye line, if that makes sense. No, it does make yeah. sense. Um, I kind of get, but sorry. I kind of had the same experience, you know, but I, I would always equate with keeping everything, you know, midline like you know i would see a lot of a lot of times my elbow on that draw would come way out to the side and when i would present the gun just because of how your body's built that gun would come up left of the target and i was steering it back to the a zone which obviously like from an efficiency standpoint there's a certain amount of time that you could measure to, to get that gun back and what i found that worked for me was same way with like concealed draws um trying to keep everything on that midline as fast as possible right yes. so my movement to the gun i equated that with instead of my elbow being out laterally to my body pushing my elbow straight back behind me right mm -hmm. and that that movement allowed for a lot more consistent presentation before the gun got up to my high line where mm -hmm. i wasn't steering I'm, there's still a certain amount that that the gun is going to be on the right side of the target, but you're for a right-handed shooter, the barrel is going to be coming up left of the A zone, and you're going to have to drive it back to that index point. And for me, like the way that my brain works, like keeping everything thinking midline, right? If your elbow goes goes back, push it straight back, you know, as close to the midline as you can, or tighter to your body. And that, to me, that helps with the the same thing that you were experiencing, where that kind of fishing. And but for me, I was. I was steering it back. I had to steer the gun significantly back to the A zone, which was making for a slower first shot. But it was happening for me at, at all distances, you know. Yes. Um, and then yeah. especially with four aces, where you're really you're really fighting to steal like fractions of, of hundreds of seconds, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. And and then obviously the easiest way, in my opinion, to do that is you you start taking away time from everything that's not the shooting part, uh -huh. right? Because you, you know, it's, it's called four aces for a reason. There's, <laughs> there's gotta be four in there, not, not three Charlies and one alpha. <laughs> right. Yeah, I had uh, a constant carry shooter in one of the classes I taught. He was doing appendix carry. And as you know, appendix carry, the muzzle is not pointed to the target, obviously. So uh, the shooter, what, they, what he did at the time was he would bring it out Establish the grip and rotate to the target. I told him, hey, just do a one-hand draw, only strong hand, and then rotate that muzzle as fast as possible towards the target. And then next time, you're going to do both-hand draw, but just keep that strong hand speed, rotation speed to the target, and presentation speed, but just add support hand in the equation. And that's a good way to think of like working on the strong hand draw as fast and as efficient as possible, just adding support hand into the equation later. Uh, for my personal draw, it's like when I'm drawing, if like my 
the most important part to me is uh, we use a, a point for normally part time, but is that hands relaxed at side where I have that that index point. I can feel the contact, whatever. But snapping my uh, firing hand over the top of the gun and then hitting it at like just the right spot where I'm I'm the the beaver tail will be hitting kind of the webbing between my thumb uh, and my index finger of my firing hand. And it's just like, I don't have to describe it other than like, I feel like you, you know, you won the lottery or something like the thought comes to mind. is like, let's go because you just grip the gun and it hits right at the right spot. And I feel like that sets me up so well for the rest of the drill. Then if I have a compromised grip grip and I snap my hand over and it's a little bit low or it's a little bit left, a little bit right. And I feel like it's, it's kind of squirrely Then I'm, as I'm drawing the gun, I'm trying to clean that up or use my support hand to move it. So for me, it's like, that is huge. If I can, that's one of my, like in my training, if I can snap my hand to the gun and get it positioned just perfectly in my hand every time or, you know, 95 out of 100 times, whatever. Um, to me, that's been super, a really big deal. It's been huge for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, and then like what you guys were saying, yeah, the gun, obviously you get the gun, uh, hand of the gun, guns coming out towards the target. Um, I think some people fall down also on one to have their support hand, like what you guys are saying, contact the gun where I feel like it's really late. So uh, even in dry training, like with that 0.4 time, their uh, firing hand snaps the gun. And when it snaps the gun, support hand should be moving also, you know, around the you know center of your chest, belly button, something like that. And then the way I describe it to people, because then some people end up making a fist or something goofy or their hands like open, like they're going to karate chop somebody. I always just kind of say, relax your hand, like I'm going to shake somebody's hand. Literally, if I was going to hold out my hand to shake your hand, where it's kind of relaxed, it's not super tense. Yes. Uh, it, it's just it's just kind of how my hand relaxed. It's relaxed naturally. My fir- my fingers are curving inwards a little bit, but that's in the right position where I, I want to have it to meet the gun and uh, as I'm drawing the gun. Do you guys like that idea? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, having it, you know, that way of explaining it, you know, the hand being relaxed, like I've seen plenty of, you know, really well-known instructors like, hey, when you move your hand, you need to already put that hand into the grip of the gun. And it's like, well, that works great for you on this gun. But now we both, we all three have six different hands, you know, (laughs) and we shoot three different guns. Like Mm -hmm. you can't grip a stock two the way that I grip a Glock, you know, even if we're both shooting Glocks, I bet you there's going to be you know, absolutely nuanced things and even some significant things that we're doing differently. So getting people like to me, it's more important that that hand, that support hand is moving to the position it needs to be in fast enough. We all agree that that's going to be mm-hmm. midline of the body or maybe slightly closer to the gun than the gun, midline yeah. of the body with the intention of that's comfortable for you and that you can build the, the grip, the complete grip as fast as possible in that draw sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I do, I mean, honestly, my hands are like chewed up because of it. I have kind of a permanent raised mark um, around, I guess it'd be like the like the main knuckle of my support hand. From when the gun's coming up, I end up hitting the trigger guard so hard, kind of, as I'm, uh, so my firing hand's on the gun, the gun's going, it's coming out of the holster, and then where I've got my support hand, when it meets the gun, I end up hitting the bottom of it so hard. Um, that I know I get my support hand as high as it could possibly go on the gun. And then once I kind of get that, I don't know, karate chop, whatever you want to call it, even though it's not really a karate chop, but I hit the bottom of the trigger guard so hard, then my support hand can close. And that tells me I've got it in the right spot. 
Yeah. So you have a bump there. I do. Yep. A permanent, yes. like a permanent raised bump. Yeah. Yep. So for me, I thought like early on, like hard movements like that. Like I was, you know, from the work type shooting that I did that my, I was coming down and, and really jamming on the gun very hard like that and jamming my hand up under it. And I tried to work hard to still have that same aggressive movement, but be more refined with not, not driving the gun down into the holster, right? Especially when you mm -hmm. talk about measuring time, the longer that I'm holding onto the gun when it's in the holster and not moving the gun out of the holster, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of time that you're just going to add to it. So trying to get that time back with regards to like four aces, you know, and refining my draw. Cause I, I knew that I only had to have wanted to have one draw for practical shooting. I didn't mm -hmm. want to, Oh, I'm going to scoop draw if the classifier is really fast. So developing what worked for me was not, it's a real aggressive movement to the gun, but I'm really kind of gingerly picking the gun up out of the holster and not putting a lot of force down onto the holster. And then the same thing holds true when I'm making that grip, I was doing the same thing before where I was, I was hitting the gun so hard, right? Well, the harder that I hit that trigger guard, I'm putting forceful input into the gun and moving the gun, which is kind of disrupting my index. It's, it's making it, making more movement in the sights that I'm trying to pick up much, much faster. You know, so I tried to have the thinking of any time I was doing a movement to the gun, whether it's building the grip or from the draw, the movement's going to be really aggressive. But once I'm that last part where I'm meeting it, that's going to be very ginger and very soft. You know, mm -hmm. I'm still going to roll into a really hard grip. I personally don't index under the trigger guard. I index on the, the knuckle of my other finger and then that touches first and then I close and I roll into a grip. Um, and it, that's kind of what worked for me. Um, cause I always wanted to, uh, to have the least amount of force that I'm applying to that gun when I'm pulling it out of the holster or building that grip. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good point. Uh, I like that you talked about smashing the gun down in the holster. <laughs> cause I definitely see that also when somebody snaps yes. their firing hand over the gun, they end up like pushing down really hard to grip the gun better. <laughs> so to speak. Um, and I guess me personally, I, I don't want to smash the gun down in the holster at all. Um, my goal is just I, my hand snaps over the top of the gun. What it does, my obviously my uh, trigger finger stays straight. So I'm not even though the trigger guard's covered by the holster that doesn't move. And then with the other three fingers on my hand, I'm uh, wrapping them under the gun with the intent that by the time the gun comes out of the the holster, I have the firing grip I would want to, maybe not necessarily gripping as hard, but, you know, quite a bit of tension where the gun's not going to fall out of my hand. Um, I know some, I don't want to, like, I'm not trying to talk crap on anybody. I know some people do scoop draws and they have good luck with them and are very successful. I mean, people better than me do that. It always just makes me a little bit nervous. So I've never, never used that technique in my own shooting. What do you guys think? Uh, for, for scoop draw, I think... It's very situational. Even the scoop draw, draw uh, people, uh, at times, they don't do scoop draw because they know it's not going to be that consistent. So it's kind of like exact situation you practice your scoop draw, uh, they would use it. But in a special situation, uh, like, for example, hands up or touching mark, the scoop draw doesn't really make sense at that point because the sure. hand is coming from the top anyways. Mm -hmm. In that case, uh, 
but I really wanted to cover uh, like the smacking the gun down in draw mm -hmm. uh, when you establish your firing hand. So these two things are I, I do uh, religiously and I gave this advice to a couple gold members already. Uh, maybe I should make a video, more detailed video of this, but there's two things. So a lot of the times when the smacking the gun, gun down happens, there's two main reasons. Uh, one of them is tension. Like you're basically, you're trying to, you know, hit, like punch the beaver tail with a great force. So tension definitely affects. And second one is not really knowing the right position of the beaver tail. Mm -hmm. So you are going further than necessary a lot of the times. So this thing uh, I gave to a lot of shooter advice is when you see people drawing, a lot of the times they shrug up their shoulders. Mm -hmm. So when the hands are relaxed at sides, the hand is positioned lower than the gun. So you got you to gotta bring that up, no question about it. But how you bring that hand up to the gun position is the question. So you can bring your shoulder up and shrug it up and then bring your hand position up and rest of them can be a, a elbow positioning. But that's not the best way because shrugging your shoulder up will add uh, tension on your shoulders, which will lock up your arm. Just like a trigger freeze, the finger is in the hand socket, you tense up your hand, finger doesn't move. Shoulder tension, you lock up your arm so it doesn't have good mobility. So in that case, just keep your shoulders at a neutral position where your hands are relaxed, usually 45 degree angle downways. Just keep it there. And then just bend your elbow back a lot as if you are, you know, elbowing somebody behind you, like, you know, somebody's attacking you behind, then you want to really knee kick back, right? So just use an elbow angle to bring your hand up rather than the shoulder shrugging and also elbow. Mm -hmm. That's a common scenario where the tension is added. So just use an elbow bend angle to move your uh, hand position up and down. That's one thing. And then one thing I do uh, in the make ready process, the last, very, very last thing I do is I position my hand on the beaver tail and establish the grip, uh, hit the right spots, and then I bring it down to the hand relaxed position. In that case, as I hit the right spots on the gun, and then when I relax my hand down to wherever position it is, I remember the path of my hand to that starting position, like an imaginary string, so to say. Mm -hmm. like I remember the position of the gun. As I'm relaxing, I remember the path of relaxation. And then I just reverse that as soon as I hear the buzzer. In that case, I am exactly knowing. That's all I think about, actually. I'm not thinking about anything else but that path until I hear the buzzer from, are you ready, right? Are you ready? Then I'm only remembering the path, and I'm just reacting to the buzzer and let myself, let my hand go back, uh, track back to the path to the beaver tail. Uh, so I know exact position of the beaver tail. So these like two advices I gave a lot to uh, video reviews. Yeah, I like that a lot about shrugging the shoulders. The other thing uh, is that some people will compress their whole body when they mm -hmm. want to draw fast. So you see they're just their overall posture. It all kind of crunches down where they bend their knees a little bit and their shoulders go up, their head goes down. You just see like, how their whole body compress. Um, it Honestly, to be truly, like we talked about, to be truly fast, lightning fast is just being relaxed. Your hand snaps the gun. You look at a spot, you bring the gun to where you look. So adding all that, that, tension, that extra movement, or compressing, and then you're going to have to decompress to get back to your normal stance um, are just not good things at all. So more things yeah. about tension. Yep. Yeah. 
man, how do we talk so long about just drawing the gun? Well, <laughs> I think because it's quite important, honestly. Uh, in my eyes, once you get the gun out in front of you, you're shooting stuff, like, oh, that's cool. But getting the gun in just the right spot in my hand is huge. The draw to me is extremely important. Um, and I think some people miss the boat on that, truthfully. Because having the gun in just the right spot where you can, my support hand meets perfectly. Um, I feel like I can control recoil well. I can get to the controls. It just sets you up for success big time. Okay, so the gun's out at eye level, shot some targets. We need to talk about mag changes at least a little bit. Um, the video I posted on training group that a lot of you have liked is uh, the point I made. A lot of people, when they when they reload the gun, they'll hold the gun uh, maybe horizontal, almost perfectly horizontal, uh, if you can imagine. And then imagine where your magazines are from your pouch, and you're going to have to pull the magazine out of your pouch bring it forward, try to match that horizontal angle of the gun, and then insert the magazine, which is just a lot of extra steps and a tough angle to match. Uh, so what I recommend people do, what I do in my own shooting, is you know you hit the button, I bring the gun in, if you like reloading high, low, whatever, I normally bring the gun a little bit lower, uh, but I think the really, really important part is having the magazine well uh, pointing directly where the magazines are gonna be coming from, the ammunition source. Because when I grip the magazine, then all I have to do is imagine where the, the, you know, look at the butt of the gun. And then all I'm going to do is just direct the magazines directly towards the magazine well. And it's much easier to match that angle as opposed to bringing my magazine forward or around my body and trying mm -hmm. to match up a different angle of where the grip is, if that makes sense. Yeah, straight angle. Yeah. Straight one shooter, no direction change. Correct. Very. That was a good way to summarize all that nonsense I just said, Kim. Okay. In my class, uh, when I teach uh, magazine change, I usually tell people if you are holding just a frame, not the slide, if you put like a camera through your frame, your camera should be looking at that pouch region. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the frame has to be looking at those angle. The magazine just goes straight in it. It really does. Yeah. It's, and I, it's, good, good, Matt. Sorry. No, no, I agree with that. And I think too many people, rather than, like you're saying, just the straight angle with the, the magazine, you know, pointed down to where the ammunition's coming from, they're concerned about being able to see the, the opening. And so there is another angle where then they rotate the gun even more. But now, now you have two different kind of movements that you have to deal with to get that in there i think yes. just pointing it straight to there and not if you can see the the downside lip of the magazine well if you're shooting a production gun i don't think that's necessarily as important as having that angle be extremely consistent and pointed at right where the bullets are gonna come from mm -hmm. yep uh maybe with a polymer gun doesn't happen as much but it's big time with the metal gun if you're reloading a metal gun and you get those angles wrong you almost feel metal on metal kind of grinding as people try to shove the magazines in if you have an incorrect angle. Uh, so that's just another kind of another key or cue. When I'm reloading the gun, I don't even really feel, you know, resistance, I suppose, so to speak. It's just like the magazine comes up and I really don't feel binding or, you know, like I really have to shove the magazine in extra hard. It should just, you know, the magazines are tapered. The magwell is pointing at the magazines. When they come up, it just... The magazine just slide right in and you just, you just see them. That's it. So you shouldn't have to put any extra force or push hard or, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the other point that people uh, escape 
I would like to suggest that the way your support hand goes to the magazine as you draw it is just like drawing your gun. It has that level of importance because if you grip the magazine high, one time low, the next time, one time your fingers along the front spine, the next time you kind of just pinch it between your thumb and index finger, it's going to be so much tougher to, you know, get the magazine where you want it to be. So uh, the route I end up doing, I end up actually slapping the magazine pouch. Um, when my hands are on the gun, you know, I go to hit the button, my support hand goes down, I end up slapping the front magazine just for my hand moving there, you know, directly and with that much force. But I want the base pads to sit in a very, with a low cap or a, a standard capacity, sit in a very specific spot in my palm. And if that base pad hits kind of like the middle part of my palm, I suppose, and my uh, index finger is front along the front of the magazine, regardless of if the pouch is covering it or I'm able to touch it. Um, and then the, the, the majority of the force comes from, I suppose, my uh, ring finger, my pinky, smashing that kind of into my palm, uh, the force to pick up the magazine. And then my index fingers just kind of hanging on the front spine. And then my uh, middle fingers kind of just guiding it for holding it in place. If you guys think that sounds reasonable. Yeah, so when you hold the magazine, with the index finger and the palm in the middle, would you say the angle of the mag body and your index finger and the whole front arm, is it straight line? Kim, mind blown. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's a good way to so say it. Depends on how many joints are bent in reload. It significantly uh, affects your consistency. So for example, uh, yeah, the sh shoulder shrugging <clears throat> up and using the elbow when I talked about in draw, the same concept applies to reload as well. Like shrugging up the shoulder is not a good idea. So you have to bend your elbow angle for sure. But a lot of the times I see people bending their wrist. So like they're gripping like that. So a lot of the times if you have the mag pouch set up where the base pad is towards the front, not the back, leaning back, if, if that makes sense, or magazine straight up is fine too. But you see sometimes having the base pad towards your front of your body. So the in magazine, because they won't have video, Kim. Uh, magazine okay. leaning forward. So the yes, top half of the magazine would be more towards like the front of you than behind you. Yes. So if the magazine is leaned towards you, what happens is you need to break a wrist angle to get a good grip on it. What that case, what what that means is now you're using a three pivot points: shoulder pivot point, elbow pivot point, and wrist pivot point. Now nothing is in a straight line, especially the back body and your arm is not in a straight line. Now you need to bring it back. You need to change the wrist angle to keep things straight. And that really affects consistency because when the magazine arrives around the mag well, oftentimes the magazine is still rotating, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. when the wrist is bent. Another bad case is people would bend their index finger to 90 degrees. So basically base pad is not in the palm, some people actually have the base pad around the finger. So there, if, if I hold my magazine just like them, the magazine would look 90 degrees bent inside your hand. Like I am curling the fingers down. Uh -huh. So in that case, your finger is now bent. So it's a bad <laughs> idea to have your fingers bent or the wrist bent. Because like we just talked about, the mag body and your forearm, forearm region is not in a straight line. Imagine either, so either having that crooked angle and trying to reload, or you're trying to bend it back to a straight line, 
those are not efficient. Oftentimes, it's not going to be consistent insertion of a magazine. So you want when you grip your magazine inside the pouch, you only want your elbows bent, not the wrist, not the fingers, or shrugging up the shoulders. In the case you you guarantee the relaxation, you guarantee that straighter line where you're not changing angles too much. You just want to keep things as straight as possible. In this case, you just shove it in. Sometimes if you see your magazine hitting the back of the gun, oftentimes what that means is you want to question if the if you are rotating your wrist back to uh, re-angle the magazine and the mag well kind of thing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. You really got to keep that straight. Um, and then the last thing, which I think is just an assumption for some people, but <laughs> I guess they assume poorly sometimes, is uh, I think we should talk about where your vision should be. Because sometimes people get to where like, oh, the magazine looks close enough. They're going to look up for the target or the threat or whatever, and they don't have sufficient, I mean, if you want to use the word confirmation, but they haven't paid enough attention. The magazine's actually going to go in the gun before they look up to do something else, and they're kind of bobbling around. Or maybe they're trying to do a no-look reload where they're looking at something else, and they're trying to find, you know, trying to find the magazine, get it to the magwell. What do you guys think about where your vision should go? I mean... I think I didn't to me it's this is like one of the it's completely not even up for debate your vision you got to look at what you're doing you know it's the same thing like if you were in El Prez when you're shooting the first target you know right in the middle of shooting the first target you don't just look to the second target right um, mm -hmm. so for that you know I will be looking at the targets when I start to initiate that reload but as soon as I have that magazine in my hand the gaze, you know, my vision switches to becoming laser focused on the magwell, on so where it's going to go. So that the magwell, and then you bring the magazine to where you're looking. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like you, just like I would, you know, indexing a gun. I'm going to look to something and then bring that thing to what I'm looking at. So I look very, you know, hard at the magwell. And then once that magazine starts to go in, you know, and I get probably a third of that in, I shift my vision back out to the target, finish the load, and then index back out to what I'm looking at. I think Matt just hit it out of the park. Um, the vision part also, so what Matt's saying is exactly what I do, where I look at the magazine well. But I think sometimes people get focused on the magazine. They shift their attention to the magazine, and they're watching, you know, the the front bullet or whatever, you know, they like, but trying to follow the magazine, trying to guide it to an unknown point where the magwell somewhere out in space is not the route to do it because that's not going to be consistent. So I agree with like what Matt's saying is my eyes go to the magwell and I bring the magazine to where I'm looking. I don't follow the magazine hoping I'm guiding it to the magwell because you want to look at the destination and bring the, the source to the destination. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Good. Um, yeah, and then once like the magazine's like a third a third way seated, I do the same thing. I shift my eyes back to the target, seat the magazine. Uh, my last thing, I guess, my last dig. Sometimes you see people where they seat the magazine like twice or three times. Uh, if you're that guy doing that, make if you see your catch yourself doing that on video, work on that in dry training. But it has to be one seat. You can't tap tap tap. I understand like the make ready where if you're plussing up a gun or my carry optics gun where I've got like a plus six base pad and maybe you hit the magazine an extra time or you pull on it to make sure it's seated, I get it. Uh, but in a stage uh, or, you know, under pressure, whatever, 
it has to be, you know, you, you get the magazine where you, you know, you get the angle, whatever. I was going back to the target. The the base pad is going to be in the palm of my hand. And then I have to seat that magazine with enough force that one seat, I know it's seated and I'm not worrying about it falling out. And if you have to tap, 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 then you're not seating the magazines hard enough. Or maybe there's a problem with your magazine. You have it overfilled where it's, that's not something that's reloadable. Yeah. One thing oftentimes I get questioned is, hey, do I need to keep my gun into the eye level or bring it into the <clears> test? <throat> so one thing first we need to think about is what's the benefit of keeping the eye level, uh, the gun on the eye level? The benefit is people say, hey, it's closer to the eye line, so you should be able to fire the shot sooner, right? I was like, well, what you really got to ask is, even if the gun's on the target after insertion, you still need to finish up that support hand grip. So does it really matter if the gun was on the eye line or on the chest, as long as you have the gripping speed and presentation time the same? Yeah. Right? So right. even if it was lowered, you still have that grip process, grip establishing time. So you can use that time to just finish up the grip. The benefit for me by having closer to the chest area is, of course, it's more controllable. That's why uh, people do yeah, sewing in the chest area, not out in the front. And another benefit is the gun presentation is now vertical up to the target rather than coming from the side. Because when you nail the reload, muzzles towards the left of the target for the right-handed shooters. So if you keep on your eye line, the gun muzzle is coming from the left to right. However, if I just bring it down and present vertically just like a draw, I am, again, I'm just repeating the same thing when I draw vertical uh, presentation. And another benefit is which side, is, is it vertically longer in the A zone or horizontally? So if like you it. over transition a little bit, maybe uh, F up grip, is it better to have the presentation vertically or horizontally? Those are the questions that people should ask about like, do I keep it on the eye level or not? I agree. Well, guys, yep. it's, tough that, it's tough that we could have talked so long about just drawing and reloading <laughs> the gun, uh, but they're quite quite important skills. And I think uh, there's a lot Definitely. of good takeaways. Uh, the last thing I think to take it is doing this stuff in dry training is absolutely makes more sense than wasting ammunition when you're at the range, especially building the index, uh, getting the gun situated at the point you want in your hand, gripping the magazine properly, make, you know, your vision, all that kind of stuff. You really don't need ammo for any of that stuff. Uh, obviously, you want to go to the range and check yourself but uh, before you wreck yourself. But <laughs> doing your homework at home, you don't need ammo for that stuff, especially when ammo is tough to get. So video yourself. Uh, pay attention to like what Kim's saying and Matt, the angles, uh, excess motion, movement, and, uh, you know, like I said, you don't really need ammo for that stuff. So uh, if you... Uh, after you're working on this drill, if you're getting good results or maybe not so good results, uh, post your videos you have in the Drill the Month section. Uh, be happy to see what everybody's doing. And uh, as a group, hopefully we can all sharpen each other. Uh, we'll be doing a Drill of the Month the first Tuesday of every month. So the following month, we'll be discussing uh, you know what happened and what we learned. So I appreciate you guys coming on. I think this was quite bang up. It was fun, yes. Oh, good. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you for listening to Training Group Live. Stay up to date at practicalshootingtraininggroup.com or pstg.us for short. If you have a question or a comment, head to the Training Group Live section of the forum. Remember, the best questions turn into show topics. 
If you aren't a member of PSTG, we hope today is the day we earn your subscription. And with that, train frequently, train hard, but most of all, train smart.